0: The judgment seat of Christ, when you talk about, well, number one, most people think that there is one general judgment at the end of time that's going to take place, saved and lost are going to be there. That's nowhere found in the Bible. That is something concocted by people who are religious, okay? They may be well-meaning, but they're not accurate. They're not accurate. Now, last week, we talked about the great white throne judgment, which is the final Judgment of all mankind, and the ones at the great white throne judgment will be all lost people. All lost people. No saved people will be the subjects at the great white throne judgment. And so let me just mention this before we get into this thing called the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers, let me just cover some ground and lay a foundation that needs to be understood. And it is simply this. The first thing we want to cover is the eternal nature of salvation, the eternal nature of salvation. In other words, the salvation that you receive when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as savior. First, I want to mention this friends, that salvation going to heaven is not something you earn by good works. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to hell because you're bad. In other words, you don't go to heaven because you do good works. You don't go to hell because you don't do good works. That has no bearing on whether you'll go to heaven or not. Salvation, according to the Bible, is a gift of the grace of God. It is a gift. The way to heaven has been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, the way to heaven has to be paid for. There must be a payment. Jesus did that by what he did on the cross when he died for our sins. I like to illustrate it this way, but watch. Maybe some of you have never seen this before. This hand representing you and me and my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. We're born this way. God loves us. He hates our sin. We are natural sinners and we're also sinners by choice. We go against the word of God. We violate it. We break it. We transgress it, okay? And God says our sins, we're breaking his law. He says our sins have to be paid for. There's a penalty, And the wages of sin would be death. Eternal separation from God for all eternity in hell. That's the payment for sin. Good works, nowhere in the Bible does it say your good works will pay for any sin. People think, I'll do good works, that'll take care of it. No, death is the only payment. And if we do it, we'll spend forever separated from God in hell. Now, heaven's a perfect place. And to get there, you have to be perfect, yet none of us are. So what are we gonna do? Well, people say, well, I'll do good works. Well, no, doing good works won't pay for sin. Okay, again, you can pile on the good works. It doesn't take the sin away. The sin has to be gone. This is why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. If this hand represents the Lord Jesus, he came into the world, God in the flesh. And when he went to Calvary, when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for our sin. All of it. All the sin of your entire life was paid for by Jesus when he died on the cross some 2,000 years ago. He was buried, he rose from the grave. And the Bible says this, if you believe or put your faith in him that he made that payment for you, he will give you as a gift everlasting life. Let me share these scriptures with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 21, it says this, for he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. See, he knew no sin. He was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you accept the payment Jesus made as your own payment for your sin, he gives you his very own righteousness. The payment he made is good on your behalf. See, when you believe all your sins then are gone, they're forgiven. John chapter 3 and verse 36, it makes it very clear that salvation is simply based on faith in Jesus Christ. It says in John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son, you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He that believeth on the Son hath, interesting word. It means you possess it right now, right now, the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Watch this. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son, you won't trust Christ the Savior, you, you trust trusting in yourself or some other religion. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Why? Well, because... God still sees us with our sin, okay? And God's wrath will be poured out on sin. How much better to trust in Jesus Christ believing that Jesus suffered our wrath for us? Jesus paid for all of our sin. And so when you put your faith in Christ, you are saved by the grace of God. Now, the word grace, it means unmerited favor. It is God dealing with us in a way that we certainly do not deserve, nor can we merit it. In Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, our verses right up here on the platform, actually look at them. For by grace are you saved. So how are you saved? Not by doing good works. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, look what it says, it is the gift of God, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, look what it says, not of works, not of works. Can I say it one more time? It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn your way to heaven by your good works. And so when you trust Jesus Christ, once you've trusted Christ as your savior, you will never have to pay for your sins again. You have a once and for all payment for your sins. Jesus made the payment. From an eternal perspective, your sins have been dealt with. Did you hear me? This is very important that you get this before we move on. From an eternal perspective, as God sees you in eternity, your sins have been dealt with. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. When you get to heaven, you're not going to purgatory. You're going to heaven. You're going to the eternal home of the saved. You're going to a place where there will be joy. This takes us to this issue of, well, then, if I'm saved and my sins have been dealt with, then why not just go out? And I really don't, I really don't know anybody who thinks this way, at least initially when they get saved. Well, if I'm saved forever, then why not just go out and, and sin, 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 sin? Well, because God says don't do that to his children. See, when you trust Christ, you become a child of God. And he calls us to live a godly Christian life. Now, we will succeed at times and fail at other times. But the eternal question of where we're going, that is set in stone once you trust Christ the Savior. That doesn't change. But we are accountable according to the Bible on how we live our lives. Now, you might say, because I know how people think. They say, huh? Didn't you just say I'm not accountable? No, I didn't say that. I said, your sins have been paid for for all eternity. But see, the way we live our lives as Christians is important. And God says, depending on how we lived our lives, that is going to determine our reward when we get to heaven and when we live in his kingdom. Or our loss of reward. In other words, loss of what we could have had. And I believe there will be regret with that. Now, we'll get to that in just a minute. But you will never, listen, once you get to heaven, you will never be under the penalty of your sin again because that was taken care of on Calvary and you trusted Christ as Savior and therefore there's no condemnation to those in Christ. So Christians do not, once they die, you will never, friend, you'll never suffer for your sins. Do you understand that? You'll never suffer for your sins. Now, this is important to understand. In Ephesians chapter two, we're there. Look at verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. We are God's product created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? Look at it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto or for the purpose of good works, which God hath before ordained that we, look at the next word, should walk in them. Do you see that key word? That is one of the key words in all of this passage. It doesn't say as people read it. Here's how people read it. They misread it two different ways. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus on two good works, which God hath before ordained that we will walk in them. They say we will, and you say, well, what if you don't? Well, then people say, well, then you're never saved. Well, wait a minute. So how many good works do I have to do to prove that I was saved then? You see the confusion that comes in because of the misunderstanding? No, the word should is the right word there. Or here's the other misreading, which God hath before ordained that we must walk in them that we must. No, we should walk in them. It isn't that we will walk in them. It isn't that we must walk in them because if you must walk in good works, then good works are what's getting you to heaven. Because if you don't, then you don't go. So the two defective, false interpretations of verse 10 it doesn't say for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus on two good works, which God hath before ordained that we will or must walk in them. No, it says that we should walk in them. And should is the only word that goes along with grace. It's not a requirement for you being saved. It's a proper response to you being saved. You see the difference? It isn't that we have to. It's that we ought to. There's a big difference. Then the question comes up, well, if we do, then what? Well, great. If you don't, then what? Well, neither of those has bearing on where you're going to spend eternity. Neither of them gets you to heaven. What you do with good works is after you've trusted Christ as Savior. It's not the means of getting to heaven. So we are accountable for how we live. Now, You might say, well, so what's the deal? What's that gonna be like? Well, let me just generalize and then we'll break it down here in specifics. If we as Christians live the way we should once we're saved, if we live a godly life, if we do live according to the word of God, if we do live by faith in the Lord and are obedient to his word, God promises us there's gonna be wonderful reward for us in the future. Reward in heaven, okay, and reward in his kingdom. One man said uh, a part of the whole concept of reward is in a sense God gives us a greater capacity to enjoy the blessings of God. Now, what is this judgment seat of Christ? This has to do with our future accountability. We as believers will stand in heaven one day to give an account of the life we lived while we were on earth after we believed. Once we were born again, by the way, have you ever heard that before? That as far as how you live your life after you're saved, one day you will give an account for that to the Lord. But understand this, it's not a matter of punishment. It's a matter of reward. There's a big difference between the two. Every believer is accountable for how he or she lives in light of the salvation God has given him or her. While we are free from the penalty of sin, once we trust Christ as Savior, it does not mean that we are free from all consequences of how we live our lives. The law of sowing and reaping is still a reality not only in this life, but also in the future, having to do with our reward or lack thereof. Now, let's visit our prophecy chart that we have been looking at here on a regular basis. We won't look at this for long. We talked about the first coming of Christ. We talked about the death of Christ. We talked about the period we live in today called the church age, all right? And then we talked about the rapture of the church will take place. The people on the earth will go through the tribulation. Jesus will come back at the second coming. We'll come with him. He'll set up his kingdom on earth. That'll be 4,000 years. Then comes the great white throne judgment, okay? And uh, the loss will be judged according to how much punishment they'll receive in hell. We are going to be judged at something different called right here, the judgment seat of Christ. This takes place in heaven, whether it's immediately following the rapture or soon after. All Christians, all people of this church age are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine heaven or hell. Again, I know I'm repeating myself, but you need to hear it if you never heard this before. Not to determine heaven or hell, but to determine your reward or lack of reward. Notice where the judgment seat of place takes place, in heaven. That's where we're at, is in heaven. Do you see that? So you're already there. So it's not a matter of, am I gonna make it to heaven? No, you're already there through the blood of Christ, through the payment Jesus made. But the way we've lived our lives is what will be. Our works, what we did once we trusted Christ, our works will be on judgment. This is not a matter of salvation. This is a matter of how we lived our lives Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is one of the key passages on the judgment seat of Christ. There's much that has been said about the judgment seat of Christ. See, there's, there's different levels of understanding on the judgment seat. There's those who don't even know what it's about. They think the judgment seat of Christ is, is the great white throne judgment. Completely different. Completely different. Then there are those who see the judgment seat of Christ as the place where, okay, yeah, you got saved, but boy, after you got saved, boy, did you live a crummy life. I mean, you got into heaven by the skin of your teeth, so to speak, because you lived a backslidden life. And and so it, it was bad. And so, boy, when you stand at the judgment seat, you know, God is going to punish you because of the sins that you committed. Now, listen, does God deal with his children When once they've trusted Christ, does God deal with his children with their sin? The answer to that is yes. He does it in this life through chastening, through chastening. But once you get to heaven, you're in eternity, folks, and you're dealing with these things on an eternal level. The Bible says this, your sins and iniquities will he remember no more. Okay. Now I didn't always see this clearly myself and I Taught things in in the past years ago that were I believe inaccurate, but here's the truth of it. Think about this: if you are going to be dealt with or punished or whatever when you get to heaven, kind of doesn't sound much like heaven, does it? Not only that, but what about the um, first century believers? Okay, these people were just like us. When they died, they died. They went to heaven. They're awaiting the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what has heaven been like for them for the last 2,000 years? I would, wouldn't you say that heaven's probably been a wonderful experience for those early church saints? I would say so. Does it make any sense to you whatsoever that they have been enjoying strolling the streets of gold all this time and enjoying heaven and in awesome worship towards our savior all this time? And then the rapture takes place and the Lord says, okay, time, let's get gathered together so I can beat some of you for your rebellion back on earth. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's not heaven. No, heaven is going to be heaven. Is there an accountability judgment? Yes, but it is not God pouring out punishment on us. Are there going to be regrets? We're going to get to that. I believe so, but folks, those will be self-inflicted. Those will be things that we experience ourselves based on these things. Look at the language. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, Wherefore we labor, this is talking to believers, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The term is well-pleasing is the idea, all right? In other words, that the way I live my life is well-pleasing to God. Verse 10, for, because, here's why, here's why. This is why we labor, because one day we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, whether it be good or bad. This statement stands on its own. The life I lived once I got saved is what is going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Not my eternal destiny. That's taken care of. My sins are under the blood but how I live my life. We will receive according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad. The notion that we often hear that there is no negative accountability, but only positive reward at the judgment seat of Christ is simply not supported by scripture. There is a side to the judgment seat of Christ of a sober accountability, a sobering accountability. I don't know all the details of it, but we have to believe the words as they are. In the King James Bible, it says, whether it be good or bad. Now, there are a lot of people who look at the word bad and and they'll say, well, the word means worthless. Well, they would be worthless, but here's the truth of it, friends. I believe it's something like 40 times, far more than any, other way that Greek word is translated in our Bibles, the word is translated as evil, whether it be good or evil, not worthless. Now, evil works were worthless. Do we understand that? But there is still some kind of an accountability. I didn't say punishment. Do you understand the difference? And accountability is not the same as a punishment. While it is true that we will never be condemned or punished by the Lord because our sins are paid for once and for all, it is not true that we are not accountable for the lives we live as Christians. We are accountable in New Testament times. Now, here's where people say, "Well, but the judgment seat—the judgment seat is, is the, uh, the Greek word is the bema or the bema seat—and that is where athletes." Would go and when they competed, like the Olympic games, they would go and they would stand before, and that's where they would get their reward. That's where they would get their reward. And I say, yes, that's true, but that's not all the truth. It was a place where the authority would hand down both rewards and judgments, okay? Now, in the human realm, those judgments oftentimes were punishment. But in the eternal realm... There is nothing, friends, to punish us for because Jesus took the punishment on Calvary. I hope you're seeing the difference here. This word for bima is used both ways in the New Testament, both for reward and also for handing down judgment or sentence. And as an example of that, in in John chapter 19, verse 13, where Pilate was there and Jesus appeared before Pilate And it talks about he appeared before him at the judgment seat. Same Greek word. Now, did Pilate give Jesus rewards? Not in my Bible. I don't know what version you're using, but he didn't hand out reward. He handed out a sentence to him. So it can be used both ways. Okay. So let's look at this issue of the judgment seat. Another another thing I want to mention is this. Notice again, and I already said this, but it will take place in heaven soon after the rapture of the church. Again, the issue is our service, not our sins. Our service, what did we do with our lives? Secondly, it is a time of judgment to determine our reward and the loss of reward that we could have had if we had faithfully served him. We've seen this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to go with me over to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, You talk to lost people sometimes and they'll say, well, if I believe like you do, what would keep me from just going out and sin, 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 living in sin and just living an awful, wicked, corrupt life and raping and murdering and all this kind of stuff. And I just want to go, is that where your head is? Is that why you don't do these things? Because you're afraid of, in your mind, you're afraid of going to hell because of them. And you think, oh, if all that was paid for and you couldn't go to hell, then yeah, you would go do those things. Friend, you need help. You need help. You know, I don't know anybody who has ever been captured by the grace of God who has the idea. Now, there may be some. It's possible. It's possible. But I've never met anybody who's been captured by the grace of God. I didn't say saved by the grace of God. I'm talking about captured in the sense of you start getting a little bit of an understanding of how good God has been in saving you and keeping you no matter what. And you being an object of his love and being accepted in the beloved one, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you start getting that, it does not motivate you to sin. It motivates you to service. It motivates you to faithful Christian living, not carnal Christian living. See, the problem is folks, we as believers don't get captured enough by the grace of God. And we lose sight of how good God is and we start thinking, I want to be like that lost, filthy world that we got saved out of. Yeah, that's the way I want to live. And when you start going that way, Christians can go that way, but that certainly isn't what God had planned for us. It is a time of judgment to determine our reward or loss of reward. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5 Paul says this, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now watch verse eight. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Do you see that? This leads us to our next point. The judgment seat of Christ is personal. It's personal. In other words, if you're here today with your family or you're watching or you're here with your spouse or whatever, you're not gonna stand there as a family or as a married couple. You're gonna stand there as an individual. It is personal. Notice, every man his own reward according to his own labor. Verse eight, not everyone will receive the same at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus, by the way, is the judge and he will judge, by the way, according to his word, according, that's John 12 bears that out. Let's look at another passage on this, Romans chapter 14. Now, because of time, we can't go into minute detail on all these issues today, We've done other studies. I invite you to uh, maybe go there and look up on the internet some other studies we've done on this. But I, hopefully, I'll give you enough for you where you understand what it is about. Romans 14, verse 10 Why dost thou judge thy brother? Again, the issue of personal, personal. Oh, I know that Christian. Uh, they're a shady businessman and they, they, you know, they're deceitful and they, they put on this front like they're godly and they're good and all this. But boy, I know how they really are. And, and boy, I tell you, you know what, friend? Here, say, you, you pray for them. Can I tell you something now? The Lord's gonna take care of it. He's either gonna take care of it in this life through chastening in the life of that person, discipline in the life of that person. But how he does it, that's up to him. But I'll tell you this, if that person's saved, they will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and they will personally give an account for the life they lived. And it's all gonna be taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. As a matter of fact, I've got my own self to be concerned about, right? Let alone now, why am I so concerned about others? Maybe I ought to be concerned about myself, why dost thou judge thy brother, and why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. The word confess means to acknowledge or to agree with. If I am agreeing with God, there's a conversation going on, isn't there? Verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We will give an account, everyone will do it, and we will only give an account of ourselves to God. My wife and I, we were talking today about, um, this morning we were getting ready, uh, uh, this, we're, uh, in light of the, uh, just a lot of different things of the Christian life about, Kids who are raised, uh, uh, Christian kids who are raised in a Christian home. And maybe the Christian home is not a good Christian home. Maybe the parents were, were too much this way or too much that way. And the kids end up going and rebelling and living lives of rebellion. They never come back to church. They never get back walking with the Lord the way they should and all of that. And, you know, yes, there is parental responsibility. And yes, maybe parents blew it. But from my perspective, Listen, I can understand kids in their teen years rebelling if they've got a home that's out of whack. I get that. But can I tell you this? I don't have a whole lot of mercy. Once you reach like 25 years old and you can think for yourself. Don't use, oh, well well my parents were legalistic, or my parents were this, or my parents are that. Let me ask you this. Do you have a brain between your two ears? Do you have a Bible? If you're saved, do you have the Holy Spirit? You're not responding to the Holy Spirit because he's wanting to draw you to righteous living by the grace of God. Don't blame your parents for that. You are gonna give an account of yourself when you stand before God. Now, you know, listen, our homes need to be right. Our homes need to be right. But ultimately, we are accountable for ourselves. I don't feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for lost people. They don't have the spirit. They don't understand the Bible. But at least those kids who grew up and rebelled, they've got the word, they've got the Holy Spirit, they've got a new nature if they're saved, right? No excuses for not living for Christ. No excuse. Every one of us will give an account of himself to God. That word account is an interesting word. It's the Greek word logos. The word, the expression of a thought the expression of a thought in a beginning was the word logos. That's the word here. The word is a verbal answer. Every one of us shall give a verbal answer of himself to God. We are going to answer for ourselves. God is, I believe, going to ask us questions. He's not going to haul us off and whip us, punish us, say, sorry, two weeks in purgatory. Oh, wait, Lord, I thought there was no purgatory. Well, there isn't, but I'll make one up for you. No, friend, no. When you put your faith in Christ, your sins were taken care of. But there is an accountability for how we've lived our lives. You might say, how do you reconcile these things? Well, I kind of see how they fit together, but maybe we just need to spend more time in the scriptures. I know it's true. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The judgment seat of Christ... See, our works, the way we lived our lives, the things that we did are going to be judged by fire, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth. Thereupon, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you can build on that foundation, you're saved. If you're not saved, you don't have him as your foundation. But if you've put your faith in Christ, now you can build on that foundation. You get saved and now you can build a life that's pleasing to God. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work, you see that? It's what you did that's on trial, not the accountability is on how we lived our lives. Every man's work shall be made manifest, made known, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. In other words, the quality of it. What you did, the way you lived is what will be judged. Gold, silver, precious stones. These are the godly works done with the right motives. Okay. These endure when scrutinized by the Lord. Wood, hay, and stubble. These are the worthless works done that get burned up. And again, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is or or what quality it is. Okay. it leads us to our next Point. The judgment seat of Christ is based on our faithfulness and our motives. Our faithfulness and our motives. What did you do? How did you live once you got saved? And why did you do what you did? You know, there are people who do a lot of good things, but they're doing it with the wrong motive. No reward. No reward. Let's say, and and I'm not picking on the singers. We've got such wonderful music ministry in our church. But let's say somebody gets up. Well, I'll use the preacher instead. How about that? Let's say the preacher gets up and he does what he does. uh, Myself, I I get up and I do what I do. Am I doing it for the applause of men? Am I doing it for notoriety? If that's why I'm doing it, I'm not gonna be rewarded for that. Oh, but you did all those good works. Yeah, but if I did them for the wrong reasons, no reward no reward. It is based on faithfulness and motives. You're in 1 Corinthians 3. Keep in this section, go down to chapter 4. Paul says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful, not famous, not good looking, not rich, not talented. No, faithful, trustworthy. Generally speaking, those who have labored more faithfully with the time they had will be rewarded more. Why? Because they've, it's a matter of investment. It's a matter of time spent. This is simply a matter of sowing and reaping. Verse three, but with me, Paul says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self for I know nothing of myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is who? The Lord. Now they were judging him. And he's saying, guys, I didn't even judge myself because sometimes I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Does that sound like you and me, by the way? We don't know our motives, but God does, right? Verse five, therefore judge nothing before the time. Watch carefully here. Until the Lord come, that's the rapture, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. This is the judgment seat of Christ. And will make manifest the counsels of the heart. He will make known what our motives were. And then shall every man have praise of God. Motives and actions. The Lord is the judge. Number three, the results of the judgment seat of Christ. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where we were, first, there will be reward. Now, what kind of rewards? Well, there's lots of rewards written about in the New Testament. There's the crowns, there's five crowns that can be given. I don't know if those are literal crowns, you know, like the, you know, remember the old imperial margarine, margarine, and you know, you had the crowns. You eat it and you get it. There's a crown on your head. I think that's the way it went. Well, you can get five of them. Can you imagine if they're literal? and you'll be kind of going around heaven like trying to stack those i don't th- anyway there's crowns there's also places of authority in the kingdom places of authority in the kingdom and there are many others as well 1 Corinthians 3:14 if any man's work abide in other words you're at the judgment seat your works are there god judges your works gold, silver, precious stone, if any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So there will be praise and there will be honor at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus said, if any man serve me, let him follow me in John twelve twenty six, And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus, am I reading this right? I'm supposed to be honoring you. Yeah, but you know what? In grace, in grace, he says, if you live faithfully for me, and by the way, I'll give you all the strength and ability to do it. We've already read that. If you live faithfully for me, I will honor you. Lord, I don't deserve that. Well, you are right. It's grace. But you know what? I am just so gracious, and he is, that he is going to honor us for honoring him. That's amazing to me. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You might say, well, what kind of works, okay? Works that are according to the Bible, Sharing the gospel, praying for people, helping out a neighbor, giving a word of encouragement. Friend, it's all those things, time in the word of God. In Hebrews chapter six and verse nine, it says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we speak. Paul was writing to believers and he says, look, God has good plans for you in the future. It says this in verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work or labor of love. Do you see that? God is not unrighteous to forget your work or labor of love which ye have showed towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Let, let me let me tell you something friend. You know we cannot remember everything we've done for Christ. He remembers all of it. All of it. Every prayer he remembers. Every minute in the word of God where we've read scriptures where we've talked to the Lord, where we've tried to encourage somebody, where we've shared the gospel, where we made a meal for somebody who was sick, where we just gave a phone call or sent a text, sent a text for encouragement, reward for those things. This can be incredible. But there will also be the suffering of loss. In 1 Corinthians 3.15, it says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Loss of what? Loss of reward. Loss of what he could have had. There's some people who read that and they'll say, well, see that you lose your salvation. No, no, no. It takes place in heaven. Nobody gets kicked out. It's a loss of reward. And then look at the next part of that. But he himself shall be saved. Yet so as By fire, through the fire. So even though our works get judged, let's say you're a Christian, you got saved and you lived, and I don't know if people would do this or not, but let's say from the day you got saved to you got raptured or you die, you live a completely carnal life. That's hard to imagine, but let's say somebody did. Why is that hard to imagine? Don't get stuck on that. Just think for a minute. Did you ever have, once you got saved, did you ever have a kind thought towards somebody? Well, yeah. Well, you're going to get rewarded for that. You know, how many Christians never from the day they get saved to the day they die, never one time have a good thought, a prayer to God, a kind word to somebody, a minute in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? Don't get hung up on that. Here's the point. Here's the point. Even if you never did do one good work as a Christian, you'll still be saved. Why? Because your works are not the basis of your salvation. That's why. Here's a situation. Even if all your works got burned up, you'd still be saved. Even through the fire of judgment on your works, you still go to heaven. He shall suffer loss. That's interesting, suffer loss. To experience the loss of something with implication of undergoing hardship. In other words, it will be grievous. He himself shall be saved. Why? Well, because it's not based on, you don't go to heaven based on works. And there's a last point I want to mention is this. There is with this, as we see, he shall suffer loss. There is the potential for shame. There is the potential for shame. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. A lot of people don't want to face up to this. Friend, I'm not the judge. I'm just telling you what the judge says. I have to believe what the Bible says. There will be the potential for shame. First John 2.28, it says, and now little children abide in him. John's writing to believers. Walk in fellowship with him. Stay in fellowship. Walk in obedience. That's what he's saying. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, that's the rapture, We may have confidence and what? Not be ashamed before him at his coming. Not be ashamed. Jump down a couple verses, 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, this joyful anticipation in him, purifies himself, even as he is pure. Let me ask you a question this morning. Based on what we've covered, are you looking forward to seeing Jesus or are you petrified to see Jesus? Are you looking forward or are you petrified? If you're petrified, chances are you're not living for Christ. If you're looking forward, truly looking forward to him, chances are to some level you are living for Christ because you're not ashamed to see him. But there will be Christians who are ashamed to see Jesus when he comes. And I believe those are the same ones who will suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen, folks, I think all of us will suffer some loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because we haven't lived perfect lives. That's why. And I do believe some will receive more than others. And I think there are going to be people that are rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Now I'm kind of taking a little liberty here, but who's next up? Judgment seat of Christ. Who's next up? Oh, Joe Slobotnik. Huh? Who's Joe Slobotnik? Never heard of him. He was called to be a missionary in some lost area in Africa. And he went there when he was 19 years old and he stayed there his whole life and he was faithful day in and day out, never got married. He just was faithful. Oh, that's Joe Slobotnik. And I could see him saying, you know what? He's got so many rewards coming. Let's just take a break. We'll get back together in five minutes, and then we'll continue. Bring the semis in for Joe's rewards. I do believe there are gonna be Christians we've never heard of before that are gonna be so rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ because they weren't flashy, they were faithful. And Jesus doesn't forget one thing we do for his glory. In closing, let me say this. This is from a book called The Judgment Seat of Christ. The man's name was Hoyt. He's quoting someone else, I believe. But he says this, he says, the judgment seat of Christ can be compared to a commencement ceremony. At graduation, there is some measure of disappointment and remorse that one did not do better or work harder. However, at such an event, the overwhelming emotion is joy, not remorse. The graduates do not leave the auditorium weeping because they didn't make better grades. Rather, they are thankful that they have been graduated and are grateful for what they did achieve to overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment seat of Christ is to make heaven hell. To underdo the sorrow aspect is to make faithfulness inconsequential, Unquote. I think that's a beautiful balance of things. You've heard me say it before. I think the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a mixed bag for all of us. But here's the point, friends. You know what? We fail the Lord at times, yes. What do we do? Confess that sin right then. Just confess it. Lord, I blew it. I messed up. Lord, I, it's sin what I did. And he says, I forgive you. I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then get up and keep going forward. Serve the Lord. Let's be faithful. Little by little, each day, folks. Decision by decision. Right prayers, right thoughts, right actions. And when we get raptured, we can have confidence when we see him. Listen, I I still do things wrong. I'm a sinner. We all are. But I know the desire of my heart. The desire of my heart is to see my Savior face to face. And my life, he's going to sort it all out. I can't do it. He will. What a blessing that is. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, going back to the very beginning today, friend, you need a payment for your sin. The only way you can escape hell is by trusting in Jesus Christ that He made that payment for you. He'll give you everlasting life. It's a gift. It's a gift. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then let's think in terms of okay, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to be punished for my sins. Jesus took the punishment on Calvary. It's so awesome what He did for me. I want to live my life for Him. And then live for Him. And when we stand at the judgment seat, we're going to give an account of ourselves. And what comes, comes. But you know what? We're going to enjoy heaven forever. I think some will have a lesser capacity as part of their reward. I think others are going to just be on a, a higher level, in a sense, because of the rewards. I know this may sound new to a lot of you. Just look, this is a major teaching in the New Testament. Study your Bible, okay? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.